Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 73. So this idea of being puffed up is going to take us over to a swelling action that is produced in dough that has been leavened with sea ore in Hebrew, sour, and it comes from yeast in the air when you are making leavened bread. Shalom, my friends. This is Avi Ben Mordechai, and you're tuned into Real Israel Talk Radio. On today's podcast, I would like to continue where we left off on the last program. We were talking about 1 Corinthians 13.4. Paul was referring to a kind of love that is paraded around and elevated or vaunted as though it were so great. And then we were talking about the connections that we oftentimes make so that we can make ourselves feel good and have a great connection or a great identification or identity with other people who are considered great. Let's get into that right now. Paul was referring to a kind of love that is paraded around, and so we'll say, well, I know so-and-so, and I know so-and-so, or so-and-so did this or did that. And when people hear that, they say, oh, wow, really? You know that person? And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that person. It's what we could call puffy love. This is not a puffy love. It's not puppy love. It's what we could call puffy love. So Shaul, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is not puffed up. The model that we are following from heaven is the model of messianic divine love, a love that is long-suffering, a love that is good and beneficial, and a love that does not buy based on a purchase or a trade with you. That's not the way Jehovah works. And then on the last podcast, we talked about this idea of parading around our love as though it's really important to have vitamin P for protexia or even vitamin B for being a braggart. These things are not impressive to Jehovah. They are not. Now let's talk about not having puffy love. I would like to start off with 1 Corinthians 8.1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. And then Shaul goes on to say that knowledge puffs up or makes arrogant, but love edifies or builds up. So here is the difference between knowledge and love. Now, the knowledge that I believe Shaul is referring to here is not Hebrew knowledge, but Greek knowledge. What exactly do I mean by that? The knowledge that Shaul is speaking about is gnosos, which in Greek refers to a comprehension or intellectual grasp of something. 
could be an intellectual grasp of Scripture or of life or a scholarly kind of wisdom or some kind of an enlightenment of some sort. And therefore, in Ephesians 3.19, Shaul says that his desire is to know the love of Messiah, which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of Elohim or the fullness of God. Because in ancient Greek culture and in the ancient Greek language, the idea of knowledge is a blend of abstract and concrete ideas of something that is known in the mind. So therefore, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2, Shaul then says, If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God or Elohim, this one is known by him. And based on this, I would like to draw your attention to the Tanakh, to the Hebrew Scriptures, and the words of Yehovah given through the prophet Amos, chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Hear this word that Yehovah has spoken against you, O sons of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the land. Therefore, I will punish you or discipline you for all your iniquities. So this is the idea of being known. We should now go to Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets. A prophet is someone who is understood to be bubbling up out of the inner man with words in the name of Yehovah. That's one who bubbles up. It's coming from a Hebrew word, navuah. Navuah. And navuah is to navi, a prophet. And we understand that, like if you have ever been to Israel, over on the south end of the Jezreel Valley, there is a mountain range that is called the Gilboa Mountains. The Gilboa. And Gilboa is a Hebrew word that is derived from the root navuah, meaning to bubble up, because there's so much water that comes down on the Gilboa Range, and it seeps right on through all that limestone coming down into the Jezreel Valley, giving it a very moist, muddy, swampy kind of character. And in fact, way back in the 1800s in the Jezreel Valley, it was in fact very swampy. It was like a large swamp, you see? So the idea of bubbling up from the surface is this idea of a prophet. So Yeshua says, beware of those who falsely bubble up in the name of Yehovah with a bunch of words. And it's not necessarily a future tense. It could be just that they think they are truly something because they've got the words of Yehovah as though they were to say, Listen to me. I know better. 
I know what's going on. I study scripture. I know the language. Hey, I know Hebrew. Well, I know Greek. Well, I know the language. Well, I know culture. Well, I'm trained. Well, I have PhDs behind my name. Blah, blah, blah. These could be classified as people who are falsely bubbling up out of their inner man looking for an identity. That's what Shaul is getting at with this idea of being puffed up as though to be filled with puffy love. So therefore, these kinds of people will, quote, love you by making themselves important in your eyes. And when you accept that and you don't say something, you're just feeding them with the stuff that is going to destroy them. So Yeshua says, Beware of these who come to you in sheep's clothing. That is that humble brag routine. They're humble and they're innocent, but they're bragging. He says, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves and they're going to have you for dinner. And this idea is precisely found in Psalm 53, verse 4. Have the workers of Avon, which is a Hebrew word that means workers of twistedness, coming from the garden, have the workers of twistedness no knowledge, that is, experiential knowledge, because that's what Hebrew knowledge is, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon Elohim. Or, for example, the prophet Micah, or Micha, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones? who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from them. You break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for a pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to Jehovah, but he will not hear them. And he will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their actions. Thus says Jehovah concerning the bubbling up ones, the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant, Shalom, 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 all day long, while they chew with their teeth, who prepare war against them, who puts nothing in their mouths. Yeah. So in Micah 3.7, Jehovah says, the seers are going to be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. Then in verse 11, Israel's heads, they judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets, the bubbling up ones, divine for money. And they lean on Jehovah and say, well, is not Jehovah among us? Oh, no harm can come to us. No, no, no. Jehovah is not impressed. This is why Yeshua says in Matthew 7, 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. 
And then Yeshua goes on to say in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Master, Master, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And what is the will of Yehovah? It is to eat and draw sustenance from his word. That is from John 4.34. And so Yeshua says, Many will say to me in that day, in Matthew 7.21, Master, Master, have we not bubbled up in your name, prophesied? Have we not cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? The idea of a wonder is that of doing something in the name of Messiah, because the term wonder is in Hebrew, pei lamed aleph, which is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 through 7, that his name will be called Wonderful. That's the name of the Messiah. So people are doing wonders from the wonderful in his name. And Yeshua says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. In other words, I never had an experience with you. Because that's the idea of knowledge in the Hebrew culture, not in the Greek culture. Because in Greek, knowledge is about intellectual grasping of something. Whereas in Hebrew, knowledge is about an experience of something. So Yeshua says, you, all of you, depart from me. You who practice no Torah. And what is the Torah? It is the law of Messiah. And the law of Messiah is love, which is giving, which is saying, you are more important than I am. And I will serve you. Because Yeshua said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. Paul certainly had this whole problem that he had to deal with back in 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 19. Paul says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Messiah, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Messiah Yeshua, I have birthed you through the gospel. Oh, what does he mean by that? I birthed you through the gospel. Because the gospel is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah. So in birthing someone or begetting someone, the idea is very clear. It's about helping someone to come to the understanding that they must be born from above in the name of Messiah. That's what Paul was doing. He was begetting people through the gospel. They were becoming born from above because of what he was teaching them about the good news of Yeshua, the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. So he says, therefore, I urge you. What does that mean? Imitate me. That means don't puff yourself up as though you were something great. You have nothing. Puffing yourself up is going to get you nowhere. So he says in 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, 
who is my beloved and faithful son in the master, who will remind you of my ways in Messiah as I teach everywhere in every congregation. It's all about bringing forth this giving principle so people everywhere will come to identify with 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 18, for some are arrogant or puffed up as though I were not coming to you because obviously they want to be instructors and they don't want to be upstaged by Paul. But I will come to you shortly, and if the master wills, I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power for the kingdom of Elohim is not in word, but in power. That is the power of Messiah working through you to become born from above. So Paul asks the question, what do you want? Shall I come to you beating you up with shame and guilt or with love, with giving to you so that you will find that your burdens are all being lifted up off of you because that is the basis of the spirit of gentleness, okay? So this idea of being puffed up is going to take us over to a swelling action that is produced in dough that has been leavened with seor in Hebrew. Seor in Hebrew is the word for sour, and it comes from yeast. That is the yeast in the air when you are making leavened bread. Without getting into too much detail, it's all about the leavened culture that you use to make sourdough bread. And so we understand this word of sourdough or seor from Exodus 12, verse 19, where the lesson is taught in the Torah. For seven days, no seor, translated into English as leaven, shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, referring to comets, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. So he says, don't eat anything leavened in all your dwellings during the week of unleavened bread. So the seor concept, which is spelled sin alef resh, sin alef resh, seor, that is referred to as leaven, and it comes out of the air. This is why every Passover season, when we do a whole week of unleavened bread, what we are doing is we are removing the leavening, the seor that makes the sourdough starter. We're removing that from our home. So this is all about the sourdough starter that is in the home. There are many out there who like to say, well, our sourdough starter is a hundred years old, coming from way back in my grandmother's, grandmother's, grandmother's day. But the truth is, in Scripture, for an Israelite, that would never, ever happen. Because every year, you have to remove 
that sourdough starter from your home. And if you have to remove it, that means at the end of the week, you have to start again with a brand new batch of sea ore of dough that has been subjected to the sea ore or the yeast that is in the air. And it takes a good week for that to happen before you can then make your bread again. So every year we go through this whole process. So sea ore is the idea of yeast, whereas the Hebrew word for chametz is the process that comes out of the sourdough lump. When that dough with its water mixture is subjected to sea ore in the air, it then becomes chametz. And in modern Hebrew in Israel, if you want vinegar, you're going to ask for chometz because the vinegar is sour. So this puffy love action is something that Yeshua addresses in Matthew 16, 11, and 12. Here's what it says. How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? He says, but to beware of the leaven, that is the chametz, or the sea ore, which is how you make the leavened bread, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware, not of the sea ore of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees. So the idea of sea ore, which produces chametz, that is a doctrine, that is a teaching, that is Torah teaching, that is corrupted and puffed up with man-made traditions and teachings. And that's the very thing that you want to avoid, those man-made teachings and man-made ideas, because they puff up the bread. They puff up the lump of dough, the bread dough. In this context, Shaul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, that is a little sea ore, the yeast from the air, leavens or makes the whole lump chametz or sourdough? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that's the old bread, the old sourdough starter, that you may be a new lump. That is, you start again after Passover, making a brand new sourdough starter culture. And then he says, since you truly are unleavened, that is, we don't have the yeast of man-made religion in us, We've been set apart and separated from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil in Genesis chapter 3. That's what Yeshua did for us. He separated us from that, so we're no longer slaves to sin and death, which is the leavened will of man. We don't want it, and we don't want to eat it. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was offered for us, referring to Messiah giving of himself as the pure bread of the word, which is not adulterated. 
Therefore, let us keep the feast or the festival, meaning Hag Hamatzot, unleavened bread, not with old leaven, not with the old sourdough that you had from the previous year, nor with the leaven or the sourdough starter culture of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's what he was saying. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to come back and deal with more of this subject material here as we're looking at the definition of love as it's found in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Brihada Shah, that is the New Covenant teachings, okay? So stay with us, and we'll come back right after this important break. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 73. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Let's go ahead and continue where we left off before the break as Paul was using the imagery of leavened bread as it relates to seor, that is the yeast in the air, that is added to some dough along with some water, and over about a week or so, it produces a sourdough starter culture, which is then put into another lump of dough in order to infect it, so to speak, and turning it into a new puffed-up lump of dough. So Paul is addressing this idea of being puffed up in the sense of being influenced by man-made traditions and lessons and doctrines and teachings that seem to supplant everything that is taught about the law of sin and death as it relates to the Garden of Eden, where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was planted and was growing. And it's that same tree that Adam and Eve took of when they ate of it, therefore making a covenant with sin and death, just as Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 7. And it's that very same corruption, that very same puffed-up comets of the tree of the knowledge of good but evil that is passed down to each of us. And when we are born into the world, we therefore are born into sin and death. We inherit that corruption. We inherit that puffed-up human nature. And it's that very human nature that Yeshua came to destroy and to separate us from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. So let's continue with this idea and talk further about what this puffing up thing is all about as Paul is referencing it in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Yehovah's love does not regard faces, that is, to show favor 
one person over another because of something that they are or something that they do or the knowledge they have or the gifts that they have. No, 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 no. He doesn't do it that way. He doesn't regard puffed up man-made faces. He does not receive you by how your face looks. He's not interested in being a racist. He's just looking at the heart. And we learn this lesson from 1 Samuel 16, 7, when Shmuel, or Samuel, was told by Yehovah to find a king for Israel because the people so much clamored for a king. So Yehovah said to Samuel, do not look at appearance or physical stature. For Yehovah does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Yehovah looks at the heart. And therefore, we understand today that Yehovah does not look at one's station in life or even one's quality type of doctrinal education or the letters behind one's name. None of that stuff. I mean, even Yeshua had to face that whole issue when the Pharisees were accusing him of not being studied like they were in John 7, 14 through 15. Yehovah does not show favoritism as was common in his day, even as it's quite common today, because this puffed up thing is of our flesh that we inherited from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman reached out her hand and took from the fruit of that tree, it corrupted everything, and we inherited everything that got passed down to us from the tree of the knowledge of good but evil. That's the root cause of all of our problems today, and there's many, many passages that we could talk about so this is something we really need to pay attention to. So it takes this idea that we feel so important with our identity and our connections and associations with others to be puffed up with the pride of chametz or leavened bread. And that's why every year at the Passover season during the week of unleavened bread, we are to take inventory of ourselves and see what we need to learn to rule over in our lives. So I encourage you, if you do not practice the festival of unleavened bread, Hagamatzot, for seven days during every year's period of the Passover season, I encourage every one of you, do that festival. And you don't need to go through all of this long, long ritual of pulling out every little crumb of everything in your house. That's what I did for so long. Simply know that the puffing up action that Shaul is talking about is essentially a sourdough culture and anything that was made with live yeast. But keep in mind, that you cannot get all the yeast out of your home, my friends. You can't. Why? Because there's yeast in the air. So what are you going to do about that? 
So you can't say, well, I have to get every bit of yeast out of my home because you've got yeast floating around in the air, in your kitchen, all over the place. So it's not about pulling every single microscopic crumb out of your cupboard or out of your food pantry. It's about sourdough starter culture and things that are made from that because it's teaching you a lesson that we are all a new lump in Messiah. We're going to get rid of that stuff. That's the objective. So, seor is the idea of yeast, whereas the Hebrew word for chametz is the process that comes out of the sour dough lump. When that dough with its water mixture is subjected to seor in the air, it then becomes Hametz, a pride of our own personal identity and how we arrive at that identity and how we present ourselves in front of people with that identity, which is then coupled to our knowledge, how much we know, what we study, how we elevate ourselves over another person, because we seem to have a knowledge and insight into things that someone else does not have because maybe they didn't go to university like we went to university or they didn't go to college like we went to college or we have a master's degree or we have a PhD in a certain subject or maybe multiple PhDs so that we elevate ourselves to parade ourselves around, kind of like that imagery of a peacock, thinking we are just so great because of our own identity. I mean, after all, I'm Avi ben Mordechai. I'm a Jew. I was born with both parents being Jewish. Oh, yes, I lived in Israel. Oh, yes, I'm a tour guide in Israel. Oh, yes, I'm this or I'm that. Or as Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the master. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Referring to those who not only do circumcision, but they do circumcision the right way, according to the way the halakha demands it. Therefore, they end up destroying the very nature and the very meaning behind circumcision, according to Deuteronomy, Devarim, chapter 16, verses 10 and following. So Paul says in Philippians 3, 3, For we are the circumcision who worship Elohim in the Ruach or Spirit, rejoice in Messiah Yeshua, and have no trust or confidence in the flesh. And that refers to everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we uh, present ourselves to be in front of other people, including all of our education, 
all of our pedigree, perhaps even the family line that we come out of, Paul saying, as though I might also have confidence in the flesh, and he certainly could have. So he says, if anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, he says, I even more so. How so? According to Paul's own testimony, yeah, he's circumcised the eighth day. That's sure very Jewish. He's of the stock of Israel. That's real Jewish. The tribe of Benjamin? Oh, that's real big stuff. A Hebrew of Hebrews? Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And concerning the law, oral law, written law, all kinds of religious identity? Yeah, he's a harush, a separated one, a Pharisee. Concerning zealousness or zeal, Yeah, he persecuted the church because he saw that they're all a bunch of idolaters and they don't have a clue how much us Jews know. Yeah, that's what he was getting at. And he says concerning justness or righteousness, which he says is in the Torah because the Torah is in Yeshua, the Messiah. He says in that he's held blameless because of what he was doing, because of what he believed, because of the doctrine, because of all of the ideas that the Pharisees, the Purushim, were upholding. And then Paul goes on to say, but what things were gain to me? As though that kind of stuff is all a gain. He says he's counted all of that stuff as a loss for Messiah, a complete and utter loss. Yet indeed, he says, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the experiential knowledge. That's the experience of knowing Messiah, Yeshua, my master, for whom I have suffered the loss of all. And he says, I count it all as pure rubbish. He counts it all as though you might as well just stick it all in the trash can. Can you imagine yourself going through years and years of studies in university or college or technical schools, and you have all kinds of training, and you're just so good at what you do? And you've spent tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, on an education to be great in your particular field of study. Can you imagine having to take all of that and just trash it? Well, that's kind of what Paul was getting at. So he says in Philippians 3, 7, But whatever was gained to me, as though to elevate my own identity and to show people that I'm just a wise old owl. Yet indeed I count all for the excellency of that experiential knowledge in Messiah Yeshua because he suffered all the loss of everything and he counts it as a trash bin that he may gain Messiah and be found in him not having my own own justness, which is derived from the Torah, which is talking about Yeshua, 
the Messiah, because he is the Torah. He's the word made flesh, John 1.14. But he's speaking about that which is through this trusting faith in Messiah, which is allowing Messiah to make a faithful copy of himself in me by my trust in him. That's the justness or the justification, which is from Elohim, from God, by faith. So he goes on to say that he may know him. That's experiential knowledge, not intellectual knowledge. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. And if by any means... I may attain or gain the resurrection from the dead. And that we are waiting for right now. We are looking forward to that event. So he says, not that I have already attained, nor am I already perfected, because he had a flesh like our flesh, and he had to battle everything like we battle everything to this very day. But I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Messiah Yeshua has also laid hold of me. So he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have comprehended or apprehended, nor have I laid hold of this yet. But he says, here's the one thing that I am doing. I am forgetting those things which are behind, and I am reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And that is that resurrection of Yeshua, of Messiah, in me, the hope of glory. And that is all that's going to matter. So it doesn't matter if you are the wealthiest man in the universe. It doesn't matter if you're a Jeff Bezos, if you're a Bill Gates, if you're a Warren Buffett, if you're any of these 3% of the world population that are the wealthiest of the entire universe. So what? Or as we say in Hebrew, Ozma. (laughs) What does it matter? It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And if you went through university and college and you've studied and you're a great teacher or a great learner, you've really made it. You're at the top of your game. I say, and Paul says, and Yeshua says, and the Almighty Eternal One, Yehovah says, Ozma. So what? All that matters is Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. And that upward call comes because he loves us by showing us his goodness, his truth, his forgiveness and taking that judgment of divine justice upon himself. Because Jehovah couldn't just turn a blind eye to it and look at everything that we inherited from the Garden of Eden tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He couldn't just take all that that we were born into and inherited and just say, "Ah, don't worry about it. (laughs) It's not a big deal. (laughs) That's okay. We'll get past it here. Oh, no. He had to do something with it. And he did do something with it. He took that judgment upon himself. He did it, and he paid for it. And in place, he gave us the mercy and the love 
that he is because he generates justice and mercy and love. He generates those things within himself. That's who he is. So Shaul says in Philippians 3, 15 and 16, therefore, many as are mature that really understand these things have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, Elohim will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to that degree that we have already attained or laid hold of, Shaul says, let us walk by the same rule, the same law, meaning let us be of the same mind. And that is the basis of divine ahava or love, to be of the same mind. How so, you might ask? By serving one another and washing each other's feet. And if you want to be great in Jehovah's kingdom, learn to be a servant of all. That is your greatest calling. That's my greatest calling. That's the same mind of Yeshua, to learn to be a servant of all. And therefore, in service, we learn what love is all about, because that service doesn't get paid back. That service goes out, and it does not necessarily return to you in the way that your flesh would like it to return to you. No, no, no. It's going to go out, and that's that same mind of Messiah. So we learn to love in the same way. We learn to love by giving, and that giving doesn't come easy. And it doesn't come cheap, not at all. It will cost us something when we do it. And so this idea points us to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, when Yeshua had called the people unto himself with his Talmudim or disciples also. He said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, referring to his crucifixion tree, to reckon yourself as being crucified on that execution crucifixion tree that Yeshua was crucified on, resulting in Yeshua's statement, and follow me. And then Yeshua says in Mark 8.36, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a heavy statement to process and to think about. So we don't want to be caught in that condition. Not you, not I, not any of us. It's a bad, dark place to be. And you don't want to be there. So it's better that we take Paul's admonition in Philippians 3. So there is no purpose to elevate ourselves and to puff ourselves up and to parade ourselves around and to impress people with our pedigree, with our education, with our faces, with our understanding, with who we are, with what we are, with our station in life, with anything. 
We have no reason to walk in that kind of lifestyle as though I or you were something really, really great. We're not great except in that we have been given the status of greatness in Messiah Yeshua who resurrected on the third day and is coming back to receive us if we will stay firm and stay the course. Don't get all prideful and parade yourself around as though you are better than anybody else or that I should say the same of myself concerning you or anybody else because you can't be full of yourself if you want Yehovah to fill you. He fills empty vessels. He does not fill already full vessels. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all I have for you today on 1 Corinthians 13.4. And yes, I know it's taking me quite some time to get through these passages, but that's okay. I don't care how long it takes me so that we can really understand that 1 Corinthians 13 is a model of Yehovah's love for us and then how we take that love and we give it out to others in the same way that we have received the love. Therefore, it fulfills the words of 1 John 4:19. We love him, and I should say we love others, because he first loved us. So we'll come back on the next podcast and we'll address the lessons that are taught in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. That love does not behave rudely as it's understood from the New King James Version translation. That love does not seek its own. That love is not provoked. And that love thinks no evil. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.